0: Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter 3. Welcome to Cornerstone Bible Church this morning. As I look around, I see several new faces, so thank you for visiting with us this morning. I'd love a chance to get to meet you afterwards. There are a few commands in the New Testament which will sound more outdated generate more confusion, or be potentially more offensive to today's ears than how we begin 1 Peter 3.1. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands. In conversations with friends, Christians may dread this topic coming up, both among believing friends and among those who don't know the Lord. Christians, who may often be bold with the gospel, may speak in hushed tones about what God's word says about roles within marriage, lest they are mislabeled as misogynistic. Many in this age, including those claiming to be Christians, have rejected what God has clearly said about gender, about sexuality, about marriage. And even conservative commentators of 1 Peter try to wriggle around the simple meaning of today's verses in 1 Peter 3. They attempt to show how these commands would have been appropriate in the, first century, in the first century world, but not for today. But this morning, by God's grace, and really it will be extended over two weeks, you're going to see that the Bible's clear teaching from 1 Peter 3 verses 1 through 6 the Bible's clear teaching about a wife's submission to her husband. If you sacrifice that, if you ignore that, really what you are doing is muzzling the testimony of Christ's power. If you ignore that teaching, you're putting a veil over what true beauty is. If you ignore that teaching, you are rejecting a powerful confirmation that God has intended as a testimony of a wife's salvation. In 1 Peter, as we've studied through the book, the apostle Peter has given us a rich, vibrant picture of the glorious purpose of God's people here on earth. We've seen that in 1 Peter 2 verses 4 through 5 where it says, and coming to him, coming to Jesus as a living stone which has been rejected by men, but as choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, being joined to him, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And that is our purpose as those who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, as those who've been redeemed, as we are offering sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ in our lives. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 extends upon this beautiful picture of our purpose. Describes those who have believed in Jesus Christ as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And there's a beautiful purpose there of proclaiming God's excellencies Because he's the one who's called us into his marvelous light. We've seen, though, that although these purposes are glorious, that since our being called by God, this world is no longer our home. And fulfilling these purposes comes with conflict. Conflict. Fulfilling these purposes comes with conflict. That conflict is just not with an external world that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. It is an internal conflict as well. We see that in 1 Peter 2.11, where Peter urges them, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, as those who are no longer at home in this world, to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Obeying God, doing good, doing the right. Excellent conduct is an internal conflict as our flesh wages war against us. And that is true of God's call to be submissive. There's not just an internal conflict, though, there's also an external conflict. We see that in 1 Peter 2.12, where it says, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. And Gentiles there is referring to those who don't know the Lord. So that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers... They may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. And you'll see that that verse has a lot in common with 1 Peter 3.2 we'll be looking at this morning. Again, we see a glorious purpose there. As they observe our good deeds, that they would glorify God in the day of visitation. That those who don't know the Lord would become his worshipers. It is within these conflicts, the internal conflict as we fight against the flesh... But there's also an external conflict as the church is slandered for its stance on men and women's roles. It's slandered as outdated and chauvinistic and misogynistic and sexist. It's within these conflicts that we seek to win worshipers of God from among those who observe our excellent behavior and see our good deeds. This is why we do what we do. At least one of the reasons. So in 1 Peter uh, chapters 2 and 3, and we're building up to our passage in the in, uh, beginning of chapter 3. The apostle Peter writes to these first century saints of Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey, so that they would behave with excellent conduct. The kind of behavior that would make those who don't know Jesus rethink their opposition to the gospel. So why do I hate these people? Their lives are beautiful. In First Peter Uh, 2 verses 13 to 17, Peter described what excellent behavior looks like in relationship to governing authorities and to to society in general. In verses 18 to 25 of chapter 2, Peter described the excellent behavior of slaves to masters. He goes on from there to describe how all saints are to glorify God when they suffer unjustly verse 24 of chapter 2, and this is going to be important as we get into chapter 3, Peter doesn't make a mistake here. God hasn't made a mistake in putting verses 24 and 25 between this command of slaves and command to wives to be submissive to their husbands. And that's not because they're that similar, but because we know that we need the power of Christ to do what he's called us to. Verse 24 we saw that we can only follow Jesus' example in suffering unjustly through his death. And our brother Francis references this this morning in his prayer. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. Jesus died not just so we could be forgiven, but so that we could be changed. So that we could die to sin and live to righteousness. Verse 25 Peter comforts these suffering saints with the care of the living Christ. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Jesus is watching to protect and rule over his people. And that is encouraging to those who are called to obey in hard places, like slaves that were called to obey masters. And sometimes... Wives being called to submit to their husbands. So verses 24 to 25 were essential encouragement to slaves that had masters. And Peter calls them some that are are perverse, twisted, wicked. But wives, as you are here this morning, you will also need Jesus' resurrection power. You will need both the certainty of both his reign and his care, of him being guardian and shepherd to fulfill God's commands to you in 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read now from 1 Peter 2, verses 21 to to get context to 3, verse 7. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. But let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Let's pray. Now, Father, we come before you this morning. We don't want our prayers hindered. We want to be fulfilling the roles that you've given us in the way that you have called us to, in a way that brings glory to Christ. Father, we ask for your wisdom as we do handle um, these, these verses, which, which sound so charged in in today's world and perhaps there's people here who've never even heard this uh, command for a wife to be submissive to their husband I pray father that they would see your wisdom and that they would see the beauty here but that most of all Lord that we would all be uh, encouraged that when you call us to be submissive that we can only do this uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ through the new life that we have through his uh, wounds we've been healed Please, Lord, we pray for, for wisdom as we seek to apply your word. We pray for clarity and uh, help us to be transformed by the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. From uh, 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 6 this morning, we're going to start seeing, we're going to begin looking at four aspects of a wife's submission so that wives will not fear doing what the living, reigning Christ empowers and what our good God highly values. So we're going to look at four aspects of a wife's submission so that wives will not fear what the living, reigning Christ empowers them to do or what our good God highly values. And I think that that's really important to emphasize, that this is what our good God values, and this is what our living, reigning Christ empowers. This morning, we're just going to look at the first two, though, and we're going to have to wait till after uh, Re- Re- Resurrection Sunday to get back into 1 Peter 3. So it's going to be a bit of a cliffhanger. You can read verses 3 through 6 to see what happens. Yeah. First, we're going to look at, the, and the first is simple, a wife's submission is, is commanded. A wife's submission is commanded. It says in verse 1, in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands. And that in the same way, you're probably wondering, what is that same way referring to? It's not referring to the same way that slaves are submissive to their masters. We see that same transition word in the same way at the beginning of verse 7. In the same way, You husbands, you husbands in the same way. So that same way really here is introducing a new topic, but it's in the same realm of discussion, in the same realm of talking about authority structures and relationships within authority. Peter is transitioning to a new area of Christ-exalting excellent behavior, a new realm of glorifying God by doing good. And now he's focusing on the wives' place. So let's begin defining what, what submission is. Submission means to order yourself or to get in line, to arrange yourself under someone else. And submission is you doing that willingly. To give up your will to do the will of another Submission is more than deference and respect. It's more than an attitude. Those attitudes are included. Submission involves both attitude and action. And because you're doing the will of another, submission naturally includes obedience. It is interesting in, in, in Paul's command for wives to submit to their husband. He calls them to submit, but children he calls to obey. And so it could be tempting to say, well, submission really isn't the same as obedience. And that's true. There's distinctions. But submission does include obedience. And we see that in verse 5 and 6. At the end of verse 5, it describes these godly women of the past who were submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham. So submission does involve obedience. Now, some argues that submission means simply deferring to one another. It means being thoughtful or acting in a loving way. And they get this from from Ephesians 5, where we're called to submit to one another. And so, well, it's something we just all do to one another. Well, Wayne Gruden builds a really good case in his commentary, looking at how submission is used in Scripture. And I'm going to quote him here, because you'll see that submission is really about authority, and, and that is what it means in Ephesians 5 as well. Used elsewhere, this idea of, uh, of submitting in the New Testament is of the submission of Jesus to the authority of his parents of demons being subject to the disciples, of citizens being subject to governing authorities, of the universe being subject to Christ, of unseen spiritual powers being subject to Christ, of Christ being subject to God the Father, of church members being subject to church leaders, of wives being subject to their husbands, of the church being subject to Christ, of servants being subject to their masters, and of Christians being subject to God. And Grudem continues, none of these relationships is ever reversed. That is, husbands are never told to be subject to wives, nor the government subject to citizens, nor masters subject to servants, nor the disciples subject to demons. And that's good news, right? These authority structures go one way. Submission is willingly doing the will of someone in authority. Now, here's an important caveat. There's nowhere in Scripture where men are called to make their wives... Wives, submit to them. Submission ultimately can't be forced. Now, the government can, and God has planned that. But inside a marriage, submission can't be forced. You can call on your wife to obey the Lord. You can even involve, in a Matthew 18 way, others to plead with your wife to obey the Lord. But a a husband, you can't make someone submit to you. Submission is willingly. Submission doesn't mean, though, unequal in importance. It doesn't mean unequal in honor. It doesn't mean unequal in, in, in dignity. And we see Peter gets this. He says something that would be shocking in the Roman world in 1 Peter 3 7. Show, show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. That was a shocking Understanding of spiritual equality in most of the Roman world. So we see that equality that Paul also teaches to the about the equality of men and women in regards to salvation and their relationship with the Lord. Galatians 3, verses 26 to 28. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's not saying that all those distinctions have fallen away. We are still men and women. We are wives and husbands. But before the Lord in salvation, we are equal. Speaking uh, about submission and equality, Pastor John MacArthur says, Submission does not imply any moral, intellectual, or spiritual inferiority in the family. But it is God's design for roles necessary to mankind's well-being. Along the same lines, a commanding officer is not necessarily superior in character to the troops under him. But his authority is vital to the proper functioning of the unit. And that's the end of the quote there. That is true of uh, man-made institutions like an army. For an army to work well, there has to be roles. But it's also true of God-ordained marriage. For marriage to function well, there needs to be roles. There needs to be leadership. So difference in function or difference in role doesn't terminate or negate in any way equality. And we see this most clearly with the Trinity. In 1 Corinthians 15, 28, the Apostle Paul writes, When all things are subjected to Christ, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. We know that God is one in nature, but three in person. And those three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, are equal. They are equal. They have the same attributes. For the Son, or the Father, or the Spirit to be missing any attribute would be to be no longer equal. But those three persons of the Trinity are equal. But they have different roles in the Trinity. There's only one Father, and there's only one Son, and there's only one Spirit. Just such a clear example that the Son can be subject to the Father, but that doesn't mean that they're not equal. And a wife can be submissive to her husband without them not being equal. I do think it is important to see that this is not the only place in Scripture where wives are called to submit to their husbands. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, verse 22 and 23, says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. Colossians 3:18, Paul again says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting, as is fitting in the Lord. Titus 2, 4 through 5. Encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Submission involves willingly fulfilling your role as best as possible, as defined by God, within the limitations that God has given you. Submission doesn't mean a wife can't humbly ask her husband questions. It doesn't mean that she can't offer input in decision-making unless for some reason, and I say this probably is a foolish husband, says you're not allowed to talk to me about that. <laughs> Wayne Mack, in, in, in his book, and I think it's called Strengthening Your Marriage, or uh, he, he uses a good analogy of a coach and a quarterback. It's not a perfect analogy, but I think it's a good analogy. It would be a foolish coach. Now, that, that coach and that quarterback are unified in their goal. They want to accomplish the same goal. They want their team to excel as much as possible. They want to win as many games as possible. And for that coach to lead well, he's going to understand what his quarterback's strengths and weaknesses are. And he would be foolish to never listen to his quarterback. To, to, you know, for the quarterback to come up and say, hey, coach, nah, I'm the leader. That would be foolishness. A good coach is going to listen to his quarterback while still leading. And a good quarterback is going to know when he needs to let the coach lead. Now, that's just a picture, but I think it, it is useful to see a uh, coach and quarterback united to a common goal. And this really is the beauty of, uh, of, a, of a husband and a wife who both love the Lord, serving and trying to achieve the same goal of God's glory. We're going to talk, though, That's we know that's not always the case of both husband and wife being saved. Peter says here, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. That is important. I don't think that that, that we need to make too much of that here. Who are are you supposed to submit to, wives? Your own husbands. Not another man's husband. Not another woman's husband. It's not saying that all males are superior so that a woman needs to submit to every male. But it is to your own husband. But that's important. Your own husband. It's yours. Regardless if they are a wise or a foolish husband. Regardless if they listen to you or not. Regardless, as we'll see, even if they're saved or not. They're your own husband. You have to listen to them. I think there's an important application here for those of you who are not yet married. Unmarried women, choose your husbands well. Will you submit to that man, to his leadership in money matters? in their understanding of men and women's roles inside the home, in the way they plan on parenting, in their teaching of doctrine to your children, in their church involvement? Will you submit as they lead you in gray areas and areas of conscience? When you marry, when a woman says, yes, I will marry you, I do, you're saying, I'm going to submit to this man's leadership in our home." So women not yet married, choose your husbands well. And personally, I would plead to you involve godly men and women in getting to know the man you are considering marrying. Get counsel before you make this decision. Invite godly brothers and sisters in your life who can say, yeah, that's a man you could happily be submissive to most of the time. Unfortunately, no husband is happily submitted to all the time because we do lots of foolish things. There are limits to the submission, though. And we've talked about that. As with submission to to the government, Peter said that submission is for the Lord's sake. It's for his glory. It's because he's the one who instituted government. But it's going to mean that we don't do what God says we must not do. Servants were to submit to their masters, it says out of respect, but it's out of fear of God. Aware of God's expectation, of God's evaluation, of God's reward. But that would obviously mean if you fear God, you're going to obey your master as far as you can. But not going against what God's word clearly says. God does not require a woman to submit to her husband if doing so is sin. Now, Peter has already revealed where wives get the ability to submit to their husbands from. We've already looked at that in 1 Peter 2.24. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. So whether you were married or not when you were saved, you were saved from an unwillingness to submit. Now I'm saying that particularly to women, but it's not just to women, right? It is what we were all saved from. We were saved from an unwillingness to be submissive. It's true of all submission for God's glory, whether it's the citizens to the government, whether it's an, an, an employee to an employer, whether it's children to parents, or whether it's wives to husbands. This This submitting in the roles that God has placed you in is the good works which God has prepared for you to do before the foundation of the earth. See, the power to submit is not in the goodness of the authority, but in the sufficiency of our Savior. It's not in whether we are listened to, or whether we are appreciated, but in knowing that we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. One who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. The power to submit is not in the justness of the demands placed on us, or whether it's fair, but in the fact that our sins were placed on the head of the Lamb of God. It's not in the reasonableness of what is required, but in the resurrection of our reigning Messiah. That is where the power to be submissive comes from. Brothers and sisters, and especially today, the wives among us, our ability to obey is lovingly dispensed to us from the guardian and shepherd of our souls. Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Being submissive is not easy. We need grace. As a husband, I can say we do many foolish things. But even if we were perfect, submission to your husband is still hard. But the Lord is gracious A wife's submission is commanded, but a wife's submission also displays the transforming power of Jesus Christ. A wife's submission displays the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Peter continues in verse 1, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, referring to husbands, they may be won without a word by the by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. In that transition there from the first part of verse 1 to the second part, he says, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them, so that even if, some have attempted to apply these verses from 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, says, well, this only applies to marriages where the wife is believing but the husband isn't because it mentions here here husbands who, who who don't believe but the command to submit is not only for those who have spouses who don't don't believe this is not only about winning a a, a unbelieving husband the text says even if It's a possibility that some of the women that Peter was writing to and some of the churches he was writing to had husbands who weren't saved. But he does hold out a special hope for them, a special encouragement. See, in the ancient world, a woman was expected to worship her husband's gods. Plutarch wrote in 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 that same century, A wife should not acquire her own friends, but should make her husband's friends her own. The gods are the first and most most significant friends. For this reason, it is proper proper for a wife to recognize only those gods whom her husband worships and to shut the door to superstitious cults and strange superstitions. No doubt, uh, Christianity was the kind of thing he had in mind there. Plutarch was saying, a wife can't worship anyone except her husband's gods. That was the the common mindset in the ancient world. The husband was the leader of the home, so we had to worship the husband's gods. Tension would naturally arise when a woman submitted to the lordship of Christ would leave either the emperor worship or the cultic worship, would leave her husband's gods. Both her, both the woman and her husband, could potentially face shame for what was going on inside that home. He would no longer look like a leader. And there would be temptation for for him to try to make her worship his gods. Peter describes these husbands as disobedient to the word. They do not obey the gospel. That's what the word is there. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. See, the gospel is not just an invitation to come to Jesus. The gospel commands sinners to repent. The good news that God the Son became a man so that he could take on the cross the punishment for sinners so that we could become reconciled to God and to submit to him as king. That good news commands sinners to repent. The gospel opens up with, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God's king is on earth. It is time to repent. The gospel requires faith to Jesus Christ. The gospel requires every one of you to repent. Every one of you to put your faith in Jesus Christ alone if you would be saved. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8 and 9 talks about the return of Christ. How he will deal out retribution, punishment to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That is the punishment coming for any here, even this morning, who do not turn to Jesus Christ. If you do not obey the gospel, if you do not put all of your hope in Jesus Christ, that is what you have waiting for you. So I plead with you, obey the gospel. Do not be like these men who disobeyed the word. Submit to Jesus Christ today. It doesn't matter if everyone has thought you've been saved your whole life. If you've always looked like a Christian. Turn to Jesus Christ and be saved. Obey the gospel. That's not my authority. That's God's authority commanding you to obey. To turn from your self-rule to God's kingdom. From your lostness to Christ's lordship. From the means you've been using to try to make yourself appropriate to God's presence. To the forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ alone. From your filth to faith in Christ. So are you obedient to the word this morning? Have you turned to Jesus Christ? The command of scripture is clear. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. So what I just did there... The wives that Peter's writing to were not to do that again and again and again and again. And and that's where Peter goes next. He he knows that these husbands are being disobedient to the word. He knows that if they die, they're going to face judgment. But he he tells his wives, because of their submissive behavior at the end of verse 1, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. He knows that these wives who are loving and submitting to their husbands want to see their husbands saved. He's encouraging them there. He's encouraging them that they might be won, that they might be gained for Christ. He holds out hope. But he's not saying, when he says that they could be saved, they could be won without a word. He's not saying, never share the gospel. See, no one can believe. No one can come to Christ without first hearing the gospel. But submission to the unbelieving husband requires knowing when to stop speaking. A believing wife should not continually, unless there's a real open door, beg their husband to to convert, badger their husband to believe, or even keep pleading with him to repent, even though that she knows if he dies, he will spend forever away from the Lord. She has to be wise. She has to trust the Lord. And this is excellent advice for us. We can apply this very easily to our work lives, maybe when we have roommates in college, to lost family members, to our children even. It's not saying that we shouldn't share the gospel. Peter knows no one gets saved without hearing the gospel. He trusts that these wives have already shared the gospel with their husbands. You know, it's been the talk of their home. It may be the talk of their town. Why is she no longer going to the household gods? Why is she no longer going to the temples? It's because I put my faith in Christ. I've repented. But it's good for us to apply in our ongoing relationships with lost people. Not to nag. Not to jab with the gospel. Not to leave their house having written Bible verses on the dry erase boards or having tucked in Tracks or or other kind of literature beneath the remote controls. There might be a time for that, but not to do that obnoxiously. More is not necessarily better. But the encouragement that Peter gives here is that silence is not the end of the opportunity. He says, as they observe the beginning of verse 2. So as these husbands who have been disobedient to the word, they might be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, by the conduct of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. We saw this the same word observe in chapter 2 verse 12. If we go back, and it's a very similar context. That they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. And and, and this verse here really reinforces that verse 12, glorifying God in the day of visitation, is really about their salvation. This, it's observing, it's watching with intention and and continuity. It's like the observing you do when you notice outside that birds are, are building nests. Or when you're watching ant, uh, uh, ant Colony. I don't know if you have one of those. Probably you don't. I don't know. But you can imagine having an ant colony. And the, amount, the kind of observing you would do is the ants are building their little tunnels and carrying those little grains. You're observing what's going on. And this is the hope that Peter holds out for these wives by their submissive behavior. That, 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 that their husbands are going to watch what's going on. They're going to watch, and he describes it as their chaste, chaste behavior. The word behavior is a favorite word of Peter. It's describing their conduct. It was used in 1 Peter 1.15. Like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. You're your, your, your day in, day out walking. What's going on in your life? 1 Peter 2.12, we see the same word. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. You're being observed. You're being watched. And that's true of all of us in our workplaces, in our schools. After we become known as a Christian, after we are involved sharing the gospel, it's not that you can't keep sharing it, but you're going to exercise wisdom with And now it's time for them to observe your good deeds, your chaste behavior. Now, chaste here, uh, and, 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 and the ESV has pure. It's undefiled. It's clean. It's blameless behavior. It's being kept from the pollution of sin, not just sexual sin. It's conduct that stands out clearly in its blamelessness and its purity. This is important for those of us who have kids in our home. This is the conduct we need our children to see our chaste, pure behavior. They are observing us as well, watching our conduct. Is it blameless? Now, Peter further describes this chaste behavior, and the New American Standard has chaste and and respectful behavior. It is literally in fear. This chaste behavior in fear. Now, obviously, Peter doesn't mean for these women to fear their husbands. We see that at the end of of verse 6. He talks about Sarah, or what he, he, he calls them, if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. So there we see, don't be afraid, don't fear your husband. So what is this in fear behavior? Well, and really, I think that's better to keep it fear or in fear rather than respectful. Respectful is just saying, oh, it's talking about our behavior towards the wives to the husbands. But really, in fear means it's our behavior before God. This fear is the same command most recently used in chapter 2, verse 17, where they were commanded to fear God. It is the same word. 1 Peter 1, verse 17 says, If you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear. It's the same word. This is the fear talked about in the book of 1 Peter. The wives are not to be fearing their husbands. In fact, he's going to tell them not to. They're supposed to be fearing God. Now, that doesn't have the sense of fear, God, that he's going to come and smash you. It is knowing that really it is all it is all submission, whether a slave to a master, an, em- an employer to an employee, a wife to a husband, a citizen to the government. All of that is under the fear of God, knowing that God is watching, knowing that he is there, to provide for you, and to strengthen your obedience. But he's also watching to evaluate, to discipline when necessary, and to reward. He is watching. So we live fearing him. And so we're to conduct ourselves in our our submitting relationships, and here specifically wives to husband, in fear, knowing that the Lord is watching and rewarding Submissive behaviors motivated by the watchful eye of God. This kind of pure, submissive behavior, and Peter's specifically talking about wives and husbands, but it's really true of other relationships as well. Out of fear of God, testifies to the power of the gospel. See, we submit, and wives submit to their husbands, Because we love our heavenly father who's reconciled us to himself. We submit because we have died to sin and lived to righteousness. Because we have been healed by the wounds of Christ. We submit because we've entrusted ourselves to him who judges justly. We submit because we know the shepherd and the guardian of our souls. We know him and he loves us. We are his sheep. He's guarding. So we can submit freely. Wives can submit to husbands, even foolish, insensitive, headstrong husbands, even unwise with money husbands, watching too much TV husbands, flying off the handle husbands, glued to their phone husbands, workaholic husbands, avoiding God's word and prayer husbands, husbands who don't listen, even unbelieving husbands because of the power of the gospel working in their lives. And that is the good news that you wives need here this morning. You can fulfill this command because of Jesus Christ in you, not because of the quality of your spouses. I expected a giant amen there. Peter does offer hope to these women of unbelieving husbands, husbands who who are stiff-arming the good news of the gospel. And he says to them, and this is sweet. Your pure behavior, out of fear of God, may win your husbands to the Lord. doesn't promise. It may win your husbands to the Lord as your husbands watch how Christ is empowering obedience in your life. See, that kind of life is evidence that demands a verdict. It is an apologetic that cannot be denied. It is proof of the price that God has paid, the precious blood of Christ, so whether you are submitting to man-made institutions like government or employers or God-given authorities like husbands, what you, when you are submitting, it is an apologetic to the gospel. So this applies to all of us. It's not only to unbelieving husbands, but think about it. This is an apologetic to your children. This is an apologetic to lost family who thinks you're crazy because you're saying, No, I can't do that because my husband has decided this. And they're like, whoa, have you lost your mind? It is an apologetic to friends. See, they're gonna be left scratching their heads at your culturally shocking, but at the same time, supernaturally empowered submission. Where does this come from? Don't you watch the news? Nobody does this anymore. No, Christ does this in me. So who are you, and this applies to all of us, who are you seeking to win by your pure, God-fearing, submissive living? Who? See, pure living is not sufficient to save but it is a confirmation of the power of the gospel. So preach the gospel and do it right until you're like, wow, perhaps I should stop. But then let the power of this pure, submissive, God-fearing life, let it prove the gospel. Preach the gospel and then prove it with your purity of life. We've been cultivating over the past weeks this metaphor of our lives being a stage from which we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Not every actor has the same role on this stage, on this stage which God glorifies his son. Some actors lead and some actors support, and the Academy Awards know that well. Some, some actors in this, in this drama of this life, in, in, the, in this conflict in the lost world, with this internal conflict we fight, some actors have authority, and some submit, and all of us submit to someone. God is the director of the stage of our lives. All our names are on his program as he sees fit. All of us play an essential part in his essential, sun-exalting drama. But our purpose as believers on this stage is the same. Regardless of what role God has given you, whether it is as married or as unmarried, whether as wives or as husbands, we are all together proclaiming the excellency of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are submitting so that the lost, even those inside our homes, might join us, glorifying God on the day of his visitation. So, specifically, married sisters, our shepherd and guardian is able to help you die to sin and live to righteousness as you seek to submit to your husbands. By his wounds you have been healed. The part you play may lead to the salvation of the audience around you, even the audience in your home. I know many of us have believing spouses, but we are surrounded by children who need to see that drama played out so they can see Christ's power in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your incredible wisdom. And you know how a relationship between a husband and wife ought to be. It is you who designed marriage. Uh, It is you who uh, chose a man to lead and a wife to follow. All of this is your plan is revealed in your word. And we're humbled by it, Lord. And we are sensitive. Uh, Lord, I'm even sensitive with the number of guests here this morning for whom this might be completely strange and bizarre. And I pray in your grace that they would see the beauty of this, Lord. That's not, it's not about, about not being equal or not being having dignity. But about submission to you and what your word requires. About what you have commanded so that you are glorified and so that the power of Christ is seen. And I do pray, Lord, Father, well, there might be men here this day who have believing spouses, wives who are deep down concerned whether their husbands have spiritual affections, whether they truly love the Lord Jesus Christ, wives who have maybe even gone to their husband asking those kinds of questions in humility. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to continue submitting to their husbands in a way that makes the power of Christ so obvious. Lord, I know that we're going to speak more in upcoming weeks about a husband's role. We do pray that by your grace, Lord, we would lead well, Lord, in a way that our, our, lives, our wives would be happy to, to submit to us. Lord, we do think about uh, the number of lost children in our homes, the number of lost relatives who are just confused by our, by, by our godly women here submitting to their husbands. Lord, we pray that that would be an opportunity for Christ's power to be uh, displayed and increasingly in just a, a, a culturally shocking way. Lord, we are strangers and aliens for that alone. Please, Father, bring glory to your Christ. Bring glory to your Messiah, to your anointed one, to your Savior. Show his sufficiency as we seek to play the parts that you've given us in this divine drama.